My name is Danny, uh, and I'm one of the elders here, and I have an opportunity here to share the, the word with you guys today. Today we're going through Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 6, but I think, uh, oh, so if you have a, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Not you, <laughs> not you. <laughs> so we're starting at 1 through 6. In order to really like, have a good understanding of where we're going, I feel like we've got to start several verses ahead of that. So just to be safe, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll just start reading. <laughs> just joking. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they... Um, did not escape when they refused him who warned them, him, them. Good night. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will not shake, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This passage here is talking about a sifting. And so, um, Brent addressed kind of what we were talking about before, and we were blessed to be able to hear from that this last week. Please do go back and listen to that. But what we're hearing here and what we're seeing is, in these next several verses, is a part of this shaking. It's a part of this sifting that's happening. And so, there is a lot of, it's it's several things. Like, we're going to hit several things here. And I know that the propensity would be to say, that, oh, I know a person who is struggling with that, or, oh, I don't struggle with that. But the reality is, is that God doesn't command us to do something that we are able to do easily. And so as we work through this, I would really uh, ask you guys, and I'm going to pray for you guys, that we would allow that scripture to work in us and allow it to expose in us any areas of our life that might not be of him. And really ask ourselves the question of, of what is this scripture sifting out of me? So let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us here today. That you would work in our hearts. That you would expose in us any areas, Lord, that are not of you. Lord, that we would let this scripture wash over us in such a way, Lord, that we would ask and submit to whatever it is in us, Lord, that is not of you. And even if there's something, if there's something that we're holding on to, Lord, of course that we would give it up, Lord, even if there's areas of our lives that we don't know about yet, Lord, that you would bring it to light and, and, and bring it to ruin, Lord, for your sake. So, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We submit your, ourselves to your word in this, in your holy, precious name. Amen. So, we'll start here at 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 
Remember those who are in prison as, those, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also, so that you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There's several commands in here. There's several things that, that we're going to hit. And we're going to kind of hit it all as, in as, succinctly, as, as succinctly as we can. But again, keep in mind this sifting that's happening. Ask the Lord, what, is, what needs to fall away that... that your glory could be shown. Let brotherly love continue. The, this call to remain in brotherly love indicates that, we, that they, were, they were in it to begin with. And so just like the rest of Hebrews, it's asking that we would remain in brotherly love, that we would continue in the brotherly love, that we would persevere in the love that we have, that God's given us. It first has us love the stranger. Show hospitality to the stranger. And then it next has us love, showing love to those who are imprisoned. The hospitality of the stranger, I think, you know, as I sat here and kind of worked through this, this passage, I struggled to find, you know, in, in all honesty, in pride in my life, I, was, I struggled to find where I was having a hard time with this. But what I realized was that it is not that we show hospitality to the people that we like and that are our friends and the people that we most care about, nor is it a hospitality to the level that we, it isn't sacrificial to us in any way. My son, Emery, he um, is a, an incredible uh, little guy. And we, as we come in out of the grocery store, there's typically somebody there who's asking for something. And so he, at, you know, we're driving out and he says, well, let's, let's give them something. Like, what do we have? What can we give them? And of course, we didn't really have anything at that time. So what we decided to do is we decided to buy some bottles of water and some fruit and we keep it there in the car so that every time we pass by, we're able to satisfy our son asking us to give them something. And I felt pretty proud of myself until I realized that that wasn't sacrificial in any way, shape, or form. And yet he taught me at another time where we were driving by and we were doing the fill, fill the boot, uh, drive by the fill the boot, and, and it was there and we told him what it was about because he was trying to understand that. And, and he said, we've got to go home and we've got to get all the money I have and we've got to come back and give it to them. And so we did. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back on any way. And, and in fact, what I say that for is because I don't have that heart. I, the Lord is growing me in that heart. Where it's difficult for me to want to give sacrificially in any way. But for him, it was, a, it was not difficult at all. He was ready and willing to give everything he had. The sifting is happening. Where is, where is it in you that you need to be more hospitable? When we look at the, the next part where it says that 
that you show love to those who are imprisoned because we're all part of one body. This is a love for those who are imprisoned on behalf of Christ. You know, again, I looked at this and I was like, you know, to be honest with you, it's hard for me to think about that. It's hard for me to think about those who are in prison because really it's, it's hard for me to conceptualize it. I don't, I'm not near it enough. I don't see it enough. I don't understand it. And so what I immediately put myself into is I said, well, you know, I, I think about those who are imprisoned in sin. And I tried to justify that that's what I did to fulfill this passage. But in reality, I'm just not doing what it asked me to do. Now, I do believe that we're supposed to think of those who are imprisoned by sin. But this passage is talking about thinking about those who are imprisoned on behalf of Christ. Because we're a part of one body. That's what it's talking about. And so I tried to justify that it was, it was easier for me to think about it in this capacity and harder for me to think about it in this capacity. And so I tried to push myself and, and justify that it was okay for me to think about it this way. When in reality, we're commanded to think about those and pray for and love those who are imprisoned on behalf of Christ because we are all, all a part of one body. Guys, this sifting is hard. It only gets harder So take some time and think about this. In what areas are you not being hospitable? In what areas do you only invite over the people that you love and enjoy to spend time with? Which again is good. Don't get me wrong. It's not not bad to do that, but that's not what this is talking about. This is really, in a lot of ways, talking about the people that we don't, you know what, you may not like them. You may not want to spend time with them. What little you do know of them, you don't want to be around them. And yet we're asked, we're commanded to love them and be hospitable towards them. And to the strangers, I really believe it's to a sacrificial extent. Now y'all are going to be wondering anytime anybody at church asks you over for lunch if they think you're annoying or not. Guys, be thinking about it. Be praying about it. The next part is hard for me. I didn't really want to talk about it because it's just really intense, I think. And to give those parents who would like, it's probably PG to PG-13 in that neighborhood because what we're talking about is because of what we're talking about. So just be aware. The sift gets a little more intense with verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now we go from showing love in this capacity to don't show love in this way. Do show love in hospitality towards the strangers and to the imprisoned. Don't show love in a dishonoring, sinful way. Guys, the enemy of our souls wants to do everything that he can to encourage sex outside of marriage. He wants to do everything he can to dishonor the marriage bed to dishonor marriages, to dishonor what that is. He wants to do everything he can. Why? Because it is an example of how Christ loves us. If we don't understand that our marital relationship is a, co- is a, is a covenant relationship, that me- meaning that you are going to give 100% all the time, no matter what the other person is doing, no matter if they're not giving anything at all, no matter if they're running away from you completely, 
then we skew what God has done for us. We say that we're going to give 100% as long as you give 100%. I will meet you at this point. Rather than saying, I'm going to come all the way, all the time, no matter what, I'm coming. No matter what you do, I am coming. And that's what Christ did for us. It says, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And Satan wants to dishonor that so that we, so that we don't understand what it really looks like. When it says honor here, it's used several times, but it's, it, it means to hold precious value or respect. In Corinthians, it uses it to, to say valuable possessions, some sort of valuable material. In Acts, it talks about respecting a teacher or a leader. It uses this word. In Second Peter, it uses it to, to connotate the promises of God, to value them in the promises of God. In First Peter, it uses the same word to talk about the, how much we should value the blood of Christ. This is how we're supposed to honor our relationships. And again, if you guys are tempted, if the people who are single or not yet married or whatever are tempted to think that this part doesn't apply to you, you're wrong. Because whether you marry at, at any point or not, if that, this is a love and a purity that the Lord, that, sh, that is a showing of the love that the Lord has for us, is a demonstration of what the Lord has for us. You have to remain pure. Guys, this could be, I'm going to give you a list of things here, okay? So that I hope that you can't escape the light shining into your hearts. Guys, this could be porn. It could be emotional or physical adultery. It could be lust after pictures or somebody passing by or lust after a memory of a time that you once had. It could be that it could be the book that you are reading. It could be withholding affection from your spouse. Guys, these ways dishonor the marriage bed. They dishonor what God has done for us in the way that he loves us. And it says in this passage that if you do this, that there's judgment for you. You can't escape that. If you guys are dating or engaged, and you guys are fooling around because it's like, oh, we're going to end there anyways, there is judgment for you. If you are in a marriage that you guys are fighting and that you are unable, that you're, you're not figuring things out and you're withholding affection, there is judgment for that. If you guys are looking at a screen or entertaining memories or entertaining thoughts, there is judgment for that. But our God being a gracious God also gives us the picture of Hosea. Guys, there's some of you that this has been done to you. And for that, I'm sorry. That these sins are being committed against you. Maybe you're in the midst of them actually happening. But the story of Hosea is a story of redeeming that. In Hosea, God tells Hosea the prophet to go and take up a wife of prostitution and whoredom. Okay, and he does. He does exactly what God told him to do, and he married a gal named Gomer. You know, there's some in chapter one that happens, and in chapter three, we don't really know exactly, totally what happened. But it, he tells God tells him to go and buy her back 
because she went back to the life that she knew before. She went back and he did. He went back and he got her. Guys, if, this, if these sins are being done to you, forgive them because Christ forgave us. Don't hold it over their head. If they are working through this and they're submitted, you know, I'd even, I'd even contend, for, if, even if they're not, forgive them. Because while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That doesn't excuse that person that is continuing, continuing in this sin. It doesn't excuse their behavior. And they should not take advantage of the grace that you have, but that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to forgive them. That sifting is happening. That sifting is occurring and the things are falling away. And continue to be praying what this part is for you. The next part, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Guys, coveting is... Coveting is, in so many, like it, in so many words, it is loving the creation more than the creator. It's that you've determined that whatever thing it is, you love it more than you love God. And that may be a person, that may be whatever else, but you love it more than God. And coveting and the love of money, it plays out that that, that same love gets push into the things that, he, that God has not entrusted you with, that you covet things that he has not entrusted you with, and that you desire those things that he's not placed in your care. And it's overall a, a discontentedness with what you have. And where does that discontented, where does, the, where does true contentment come from? What battles this? Well, it says here that it comes, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. What battles contentment? discontentedness and love of money is being content and resting in God. It's being in his presence, resting in his presence, resting in who he is, no matter what your circumstances are. No matter what your circumstances are, that you rest in him. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, my kiddos, they, uh, I'm blessed. Most of my stories involve Emery because he, but Lena too, she's, she's, um, but, but Emery, he's got an incredible amount, he's got an incredible memory. And I don't know, he's got a better memory than anybody else in the family really. And um, we did our best to try to teach him Bible verses, and he came by that very quickly. And one of those verses was this verse. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I remember him saying, I remember Lena coming up one time, and she was afraid of the dark, and, she's, and, and Emery says, Lena, it's okay. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And Lena is like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Guys, that to them was this huge 
ordeal. That to my little girl was a huge ordeal. And in that position, it is a huge ordeal. She's afraid of the dark. What are you afraid of? What is in your life right now that is so daunting that you fear it rather than resting in God and saying, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Allow these things to be shaken out. Ask yourself, what is it? God's constant presence in the midst of his people is ultimately the greatest of all his blessings. Hebrews chapter 10 says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but also paradoxically the safest of all places to be. To be in his hands, submitted to him, is the safest place to be. To be in his hands, unsubmitted to him, is a very dangerous place to be. Choose to submit yourself. As you think on this, I'm going to read a couple quotes here. Spurgeon. I will, not, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have a familiar, you, you that are familiar with the Greek text know that there are five negatives here. We cannot manage five negatives in, the, in English. But the Greek finds them not too large a handful. Here the negatives have a five-fold force. It is as though it is said, I will not, no, not leave you. I will never, no, never forsake you. I cannot under the influence of this grand text find room for doubt or fear. I cannot stand here and be miserable tonight. I am going to attempt, I'm not going to attempt such a thing, I, but I cannot be despondent with such a text as this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I defy the devil himself to mention circumstances under which I ought to be miserable in light of this text. Child of God, nothing ought to make you unhappy when you realize this precious text. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why can he say that? Why can he say, I will never forsake you? It's because Christ was forsaken for us. It's because he was forsaken on our behalf. And when we submit ourselves to who God is, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, then we, he takes that on for us. Why do we get to be content in this? Because just as Moses and God were talking and God says, I am, who is he? I am anything and everything that you need me to be and so much more. Guys, this here is the answer to all of these other questions that have been asked. He is enough. God is more than enough. He does not leave us nor forsake us. And because out of this truth, we are able, outside of this truth, we are unable, but inside of this truth, we are able to love strangers, to love the body of Christ, and to keep from sinful love of money and keep from the sinful love in our marriages. As the band comes back up, I want to pray and ask you guys to think about this sifting that's happening. Just imagine Imagine the siftings happening and the things that are not of God are falling away into a kingdom that does not, that is not shaken. And it's a glimpse of what we get to see here on earth of the kingdom to come. This passage commands us to show brotherly love to strangers, 
and the body. How do you see that your heart struggles in this? This passage pushes us to refuse the sinful love in our marriage and in our finances. Which of this convicts you more? What are you going to do to respond to that conviction? Scripture says that he is more than enough. This passage says he is more than enough. And he is all that we need to blow away covetous thoughts, to blow away discontentedness. Do you know that he is enough? Do you know that he is everything? Do you rest in that? Do you know that he is not forsaking you? Do you know that that time that you want to be in the dark with the sin that's around you, that he is there with you, not, not to guilt you because he loves you and he knows the thing that you're there doing is not of him? What needs to be sifted in you? Ask yourselves, what needs to be sifted in you? Don't be so proud as to rule out any of these things. But don't be so blind as to ask, to not ask the Lord to reveal something else. What we're going to do is we're going to let the band play and we're going to pray. And after I finish praying, I want you guys to continue to pray. I want you to continue to ask the Lord to illuminate any area of your life. Guys, if there is something that you are holding on to, give it up. If you need help giving it up, ask for help. Write it on a prayer card. Do whatever you've got to do to be free of this. If there's something that you don't yet know about, when it comes to your mind, don't blow it off. Don't say, oh, I, I handled that. Or, oh, that's not really a problem for me. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts, that you would reveal anything in us, Lord, that is not of you, that you would bring it to light and that we would confess it, that we would bring others in to help hold us accountable, Lord, that we would not just confess it for the sake of confessing it, Lord, but that we would confess it for the sake of repentance and turning around and turning towards you and running from the sin that we've been holding on to. Lord, if there is anything in us that you would get rid of it, no matter what the cost is. Lord, if there is a love of money in me, Lord, I ask that you would take away everything in me, everything from me for your glory. I don't care the cost. Get rid of it, Lord, that I might look more like you today than I did yesterday that you could sanctify these areas of my life. Lord, if there's something else that wasn't in this text, Lord, bring it to my mind. Bring it to our minds. Illuminate us for your glory, not for our own, not out of our own strength, Lord, but out of your strength. Lord, we thank you that you will continue to illuminate us and you will continue to convict us. Guys, continue to pray.